Holly G with the Golf Insiders. More breaking news yesterday in the world of golf. The PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan sat down for a lengthy press conference with the media at the Travelers Championship in Hartford, Connecticut. And we have been covering this story for months about the LIV Saudi Golf League and its unfolding developments. And there were more yesterday. And the guy who's been on top of it all from London to the U.S. Open uh, now this week at the Travelers, Bob Herrig from SI.com to break this all down for us. Hi, Bob. Hey, how are you? Let's just start with some of the opening comments uh, of Jay Monahan, Bob. He started off by saying, you know, there had been a players meeting on Tuesday, and he said, let me be clear, I am not naive. If this is an arms race and if the only weapons here are dollar bills, the PGA Tour can't compete. The PGA Tour, an American institution, can't compete with a foreign monarchy that is spending billions of dollars in attempt to buy the game of golf. We welcome good, healthy competition. The LIV Saudi Golf League is not that. It's an irrational threat, one not concerned with the return on investment or true growth of the game. Your thoughts on the press conference yesterday? Yeah, I mean, look, he laid it out, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot that, that you can argue with with what he said there. I mean, they can't compete with an unlimited source of funding, which the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia is. It's not a commercial entity set up like most other businesses that have to be profitable. I mean, the PGA Tour couldn't operate if it didn't, you know, uh, generate the funds that first pay all the bills with with money going out afterward, right? I mean so but 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 the the Live Golf League can. At least they can in in in, in the uh, in the immediate future. You know, they've 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 already said they've committed two billion dollars to this over the next uh, two plus three years. And really that's more than enough to do it. You know, I mean they don't have title sponsorships at least not yet. They don't have a TV deal, you know. So they're they're, they're clearly you know um, set up to fund the whole thing, and that's not the PGA Tour model, obviously. And you know, he said they 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 don't have the resources to fight it, but yet what they attempted to do was fight it with dollars. You know, they he announced a plan that's basically. You know, raising purses, limited field events, um, no cuts, which is guaranteed money, which is what, which, you know, it's not exactly what Liv is doing, but it's it's some of the same stuff. So, you know, they're not getting in an arms race, but, but they are obviously gearing up a lot more than they have been. And I guess, you know, my other takeaway from this is, is, is it too little too late? Could, could they have thwarted this if they'd have announced some of these initiatives, say, two years ago? Yeah, he, he was asked that question, you know, directly in the press conference yesterday. Did they not 
take this LIV Golf League seriously enough from the start. Yeah, and I mean, he says that they did, but, you know, back in March at the Players' Championship, Jay was the one who said, we're moving on. I think they felt emboldened when a bunch of players turned their back on Liv. And I think they let their guard down and didn't recognize that, okay, well, they were just going to throw more money at it. The problem at that point was is they had enunciated this plan they have now. Frankly, while this can't compete with what Liv is doing, it, it was more in line with what the players that were on the other side of the issue were looking at. The, the stars want more guarantees. They, you know, uh, it, it, short of actually paying them appearance fees, which I still think is, is frankly probably the answer in some way. But short of that, this comes closest. They're going to have um, seven tournaments during the regular season that are no cut. And, a per, you know, the century will be a $15 million purse. The other tournaments will be 20, and that includes Arnold Palmer, Genesis, the Memorial, the Match Play, those four, and the two first two playoff events, which are going from 125 players at the first down to 70, and then 50. So those are no-cut events. You'll have six tournaments right there um, with, with $20 million purses and no cut. That sounds familiar. That's exactly what Liv is. $20 million purses, no cut. Less players, but still. $20 million. Century is going to $15 million, which was, I believe it was eight this year. And then, of course, this three-tournament global series for just the top 50 players. Now, all of that's great. So if the top 50 guys were to partake of all of this, and, oh, by the way, the the Players' Championship purse is going to be 25. Now, there is a cut there, obviously. But if all of these players partake in these no-cut, big-money events, uh, by my math, that is 10 tournaments. That's exactly what Liv is going to have next year, you know, so without the team element. So it's very similar to what they're doing, except for the, you know, the obscene upfront amount of money that they're paying these guys to sign on, which, of course, has only happened out of desperation because they were about to lose the whole thing. So, you know, I, I just think if, if, if two years ago, nobody foresaw the, these huge signing bonuses. There was going to be some upfront money, but not to this degree. And so if the tour had just had this plan in place then, um, knowing that you're going to have this to play for plus the security of the PGA Tour, pension, FedEx Cup, all that other stuff, you know, I think maybe it would have died, or it's possible that it would have, that Liv wouldn't have made it. Um, so that's why I say I just it's just, you know, fodder, but is, was, it, was it too little too late? Could this have been prevented? I heard, I think Paul McGinley said that, they paid Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson, well, if you put those together, $350 million, which was the same they paid for the football, a.k.a. soccer team in the U.K. that the Saudis bought. Right. 
Yeah, Newcastle United. Newcastle. Right. That's pretty eye-popping. It is, absolutely. I mean, um, now, the the difference there is is that that soccer team should return, should should give them a return. Exactly. You know, uh, I mean, it's, um, it's, that is going to, probably its value will enhance, right? Um, of course, they have a lot of expenses associated with that, too. They, you know, they have horse racing there. They have tennis there. They have that Saudi international tournament. They've put $200 million into the Asian tour over the next 10 years. It's really, when you have a public investment fund that is continually investing in companies around the world looking to get a return, and it's worth $600 billion, you can take chances on things, you know, and th- that's the whole point of it is to use those funds for other gains that might not bring a return in on the money, but, but might help them in other ways. You know, there's, if you ever read that Saudi 2030 thing, you know, they're, this is all part of their big plan to modernize. You know, they have, they have thoughts of building like, you know, cities from the ground, like, like was the case in the UAE with Dubai. Correct. You know, that was, that was nothing 30 years ago. It was just sand. Correct. You know, and they've built this modern city that has New York-style skyscrapers, you know. And I think their, their goal in Saudi is to do something uh, uh, similar. I think they already have that King Abu Abdullah economic city, which is like, you know, just a made-up name for a new place. And I think, and, and so their hope is they do that, and then they will get foreign investment visitors. You know, there's all kinds of U.S. companies that do business there. So, like, on one hand, it looks like they're losing a ton of money, but they're also investing it in things for their future. So, you know, I don't think you get to $600 billion being dumb. And, uh, and so while it might look silly, when you just just put it, your whole focus on the golf part of it, where there's no sponsorship, there's no TV money, they're spending all this money on infrastructure and and acquiring players and putting on tournaments and you know whatever, but it's just part of the bigger plan. So Brooks is the latest to jump ship. It was announced officially yesterday. He hasn't said whether he's resigning from the PGA Tour. Uh, an interesting question came up yesterday regarding the PG Tours partnership with the DP World Tour and the fact that in their bylaws, they do not uh, restrict players from playing in rival tours. So in the co-sponsored events, that provides an interesting scenario. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit troubling that um, I think for the DP World Tour that that um, they didn't say that Jay didn't say anything about it really. He 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 announced no enhancements to the alliance. He didn't. None of these tournaments that he discussed had anything to do with with them. The big money increases in, in the Scottish Open, you know, which is the one tournament. Well, there's. There's actually three co-sanctioned events, but 
two of them are opposites. One of them is opposite the Scottish and the other is opposite the open. So, um, uh, and then of course, and there's the Scottish open, which is half and half. So that's a little bit ominous. Like it makes you wonder what's going on there. Like they didn't strengthen the alliance yesterday at all. And the Europeans who were supposed to come out, supposed to come out with something here during the BMW tournament in Germany, sort of clarify their position going forward. I mean, they're letting the live guys play this week. There's some thought that they will ban them from the Scottish Open because it's a co-sponsored event, but they might allow them to remain members otherwise. And, you know, if that's the case, that's a win for live because that means their guys can play European tour events and earn ranking points, you know, and, and, and in the short term, you know, you only have to play four of their events to be a member. So, you know, guys like Poulter, Westwood, Keimer, GMAC, you know, I'm not sure if the American PGA Tour players could go join the DP World Tour next year, say, but it'd be an option. I mean, you know, if you're only going to have to play four events, it's not that tough, you know, and it's a chance to, you know, that those in the majors are a chance to earn your points to keep to keep up in the world rankings. So, you know, there's a lot more of this still to play out for sure. Cer- certainly is. He said he, his comment was, while we are in a strategic alliance, we are two separate organizations referring to the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, the former European Golf Tour. And he talked about that several times yesterday Bob, about the various entities, Augusta National, the USGA, the LPGA, the PGA of America, again, that they work together to meet their own respective priorities, but that they are independent organizations. So it appeared, too, that he was also very clearly making a stand for the PGA Tour. Yeah, he was. There's no doubt. And I think what it showed is that alliance isn't as strong as maybe some had hoped. And also, look, he said the smart thing about the majors. He said, we're looking at our, we're looking at ourselves. Those are independent organizations. Uh, They can do as they choose. Now, behind the scenes, he might be twisting their arms. But up front, he can't be acting as if he's hoping that they're going to ban players because that would be some sort of collusion or it could be that could come up in a court case you know uh, you know the pj tour is not golf it's just the best tour it happens to be the biggest part of golf but it's not golf completely and you know the majors you know there's all this thought oh they should just band together and ban these guys well you know that's not that easy either do they not want to have their past champions? Do they not want to have, you know, do they just want to change their course of history and their qualifications retroactively? You know, I think that would be a really bad look. I mean, you don't have to like this, but is that a reason to ban people who've, who've already qualified? I mean, Brooks Koepka won the PGA in 2019, and at the time, that came with a five-year exemption to the Masters. 
so, you know, he, he's got two more uh, masters that he's exempt for because of that. You're going to take that away? Uh, obviously, you know, he's he's got 10 years for the U.S. Open. He's got lifetime for the PGA. Um, you know, that's it's, it's, it's messy. You know, it's really messy, I think. Yeah, it's, it certainly is. Share with my listeners, you were in London uh, for the first LIV event. What what was the scene like? What was your overall experience? It was, once it got started, it was just like any other golf tournament, really. Um, it had the look and feel of a European tour event that you'd watch it early in the morning on, on the golf channel. You know, just the way the signage was, you know, how they had those, they ha- they'll have those, they don't have this on the PGA Tour, but on the European Tour, they'll have those advert signs that are like down a fairway. Right. In the, they had um, several greens, had nice, you know, viewing uh, grandstands, hospitality areas. Like, it looked like they knew what they were doing, and they pulled it together in like eight to ten weeks. It was, from that standpoint, it was pretty impressive. It was a professional tournament once they started. And, you know, they had all kinds of bells and whistles leading up to it and afterward, just like they said they would. They, their whole plan, and, and they and PGL, Premier Golf League, did tons of research. You know, there's a lot of scoffing at the, at the um, shotgun starts. And, and, look, I have my issues with it, too. But they claim that they did all kinds of market research that showed that fans weren't opposed to that. They liked the idea of the smaller window to watch golf. And broadcasters told them the same thing. They went out and vetted this with a lot of TV people who said, yeah, we think it's cool to have all the players on the course at the same time. I mean, think about it. Today, when the golf comes on Golf Channel from the Travelers, if so-and-so had an 8 a.m. tee time, you're not going to see any of his round. You know, I realize there's the streaming services and things like that. But for the person who just wants to tune in in the afternoon for a couple of hours, they've missed half the field. And so this is how they're trying to alleviate that. It has its issues. I mean, everybody's on the course at the same time. I found it hard to figure out and keep track of where people were. You know, I mean, it's just it, it goes against what we're used to. Um, but they did a lot of research on it that suggested to them that, that uh, you know, that this, is, this is what people wanted. So from that aspect, I thought it was fine. You know, I think the trick now is, is you know, next week is going to be, you know, I think the first event in the U.S. will be a lot of interest. The third one is at Bedminster. Because it's Trump's course, that will create a lot of attention. I mean, once you get past that and they've kind of locked in with their players, there might be a few more that come on board as we go. I guess as we get towards the latter part of the schedule, that won't be the case anymore this year. might happen next year. But once they settle into just the same guys playing, are we going to be interested? You know, like what will be its appeal? Um, That to me is is the – is the question that, that has to be answered. I mean, is there still going to be it's, – it's disruptive now because they're picking off players, you know. But at, what, at some point, that will end, you know. They want to have a season of the same players. 
So then when, when all that settles down, we know who's the, over there and who isn't, are they going to have an audience? Are they going to have interest in it? And uh, that's what I think is going to be remarkable to see how that, how that plays out. Well, especially if you juxtapose the last couple weeks that we've had in golf, in professional golf, from the Canadian Open, however many fans they had out there, 40,000, 50,000, of course, coming off, you know, they were locked down in COVID and three years of not playing that event, but a fantastic finish uh, with, you know, Rory, uh, Rory defending his championship, and then the U.S. Open this past Sunday. Absolutely on the edge of your seats, down to a half-inch roll of Zalatoris's last putt to tie. I mean, isn't that what golf fans want? Like Jay had said, you know, the best of the best competing for these big tournaments. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's their best uh, defense. Because with with these people, players not being able to play on the PGA Tour, that that lessens the pool, you know. Now, I've also argued that these guys being gone creates more opportunity. You know, this is X number more spots every week on the PGA Tour for Corn Ferry guys to get into tournaments, for lower-level guys to maybe make a mark. And so there's opportunity. I mean, it's a, the tour probably needs to look at it from the standpoint of as, hey, let's 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 hope that we some of some of our stars, younger stars, emerge, you know, and and get on the tour and start playing well. He pointed to that yesterday, Bob. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he specifically mentioned a number of times that the PGA Tour model is the meritocracy model, and he pointed to. Exhibit A, Scotty Scheffler's meteoric rise over the last four years. Corn Ferry Tour Player of the Year in 2019, PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 2020, Ryder Cup Rookie in 2021, World Number One FedEx Cup Leader, four times a winner in six weeks in 2022, including the Masters. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's a great story, you know, and, I mean, there is something to the meritocracy angle, you know, it's it's one of the beauties of golf, it's one of the reasons why, why you know, the game is compelling, you know, and, and why, let's be honest, why guaranteed money has been frowned upon, because there's only one guy I know of for sure that's never mailed it in when it came to guaranteed money. And that was Tiger. You know, he got tons of guaranteed money to play in Europe and all over the place, and he won those tournaments anyway. You know, you know, with small purses. You know, but there is the fear that it just takes the edge off. You know, so and and look, I'm I'm one who the the World Golf events to me, with their smaller fields, a lot of times lacked buzz because. Yeah, you had a 78 player field. That meant you knew everybody's going to be around, but those guys also knew they were going to be around. And you got this sense that if a guy had a bad first round, you know, he he didn't he wasn't grinding on Friday because he knew he was going to be there on the weekend. He knew he'd shot himself out of the tournament. Whereas, you know, on a 
on Thursday and Friday of a regular tour event with 140 players or whatever, it's a pretty good atmosphere usually. A lot of players on the course all day long, and you know, um, so I, you know, there's there's some negatives to this as well. It's um, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I still think the answer, frankly, or one of the answers would have been to find a way to funnel money to all the tournaments to use as they see fit to pay appearance fees. You could still keep your 140 players. Every Everything remains the same. But the, the needle movers get some cash up front, you know, and that way they are, you know, no matter what they do, they're getting that amount of money. And while that might seem, you know, that might not seem correct, that's how all sports work. You know, no matter how Steph Curry did in the NBA Finals, he got his salary. You know, and so, um, and that doesn't, it's not how it works in golf. You know, uh, Brooks Kepka in theory, is a needle mover um, and didn't have a great week last week. Finished 50-something. You know, obviously didn't get paid very much. Uh, but, you know, it's because you're forced to perform. So it's, it's a... Uh, it's an interesting time, for sure. It sure is. And uh, before I let you go, Bob, there is a big tournament this week, the Travelers Championship, and it always proves to have an exciting finish on Sunday. Great golf course, uh, the TPC there. Who's on your radar? I wonder if Jordan might be the guy this week. You're so on the Jordan train this year. Yeah, he's been so, you know, he kind of had a rough week. I think Rory's probably out of gas. I agree um, with you there. Um, but you're right. It, you know, this is this is where uh, Harris English won last year in a big playoff. I mean, I wouldn't have been thinking much about him at the time. Yeah, and so, what was it, seven holes, eight holes? I think it was eight holes, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it was a great win for him then, too. So, I mean, it's... You're right. It's, all, it's this is a really good tournament. I mean, this, these guys are an example of one that was going to go away. You know, they travelers stepped in and and they turned a tough date into a great date. It's a great tournament, and uh, as we talk about every week, 144 guys that could be lifting that trophy on Sunday. That's what what makes this sport so so fun and and in the end so so unique, Bob. Well, we look forward to seeing what happens over the weekend, and we appreciate, as always, your time. Bob Herrick from SI.com. Thanks so much.